Hello, how's it going? My name is Geraint John and welcome to the My Wife's Got Cancer podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help other men whose partners or wives have been diagnosed with cancer. So my story is that earlier on in the year, my wife Deb got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So it's been an absolute roller coaster for us as a family. We've got three amazing children and yeah, it's been really, really, really tough. So the objective of this podcast is to turn something that's negative into a positive and to help other men whose partners have been diagnosed to offer them tips and I guess a safe place where they can come and listen and interact with me via social media and and just get advice from people who've been there. In this episode, I'm chatting to my good friend, Lee. So Lee and I actually go back over 20 years and he is literally one of the most positive and amazing people I've I've come across. It's just, you know, he's had an unbelievably tough year in that his wife, Karis, got diagnosed with cancer. Uh, So what me and Lee are trying to do is essentially look at, analyse his 12 months and like how he overcame challenges and how he remained positive. And yeah, just for him really to have an opportunity to tell his story and to help other people. So like I said, Lee is an amazing force of nature, an amazingly positive guy. And I've always thought that about him. It's such a shame that we're kind of chatting in these uh, difficult circumstances, but you know, what we're trying to do is help. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna introduce you to Lee. Thank you very much for joining me today, Lee. And it's really nice to see you, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat to me. And essentially, we've basically known each other for, we were just laughing about this earlier, quite a long time. Can you remember how we kind of met? Yeah, I'm a bit older than you. So I would have been 18, I think. And I seem to remember I was out probably out all day on a Wednesday, I would imagine, or at least all afternoon anyway. And... There was something going on in that pub on Womambi Street, opposite club. Upstairs, there was like an open mic night or something like that. <laughs> I think so. And I was, in, I was in a band, wasn't I? You joined a mod band. <laughs> okay, let's not talk about this now. <laughs> <laughs> with, with my mates. Yeah, I can remember that. Yeah, okay. So we'll uh, less of that. Anyway, so um, yeah, so cool. So thanks for coming on. And obviously, you know, the purpose of this podcast is... What I'm trying to do is just chat to people who've experienced the dreaded, you know, cancer or, or whose partners have been diagnosed. And, and I guess there's various outcomes with cancer. We just spoke about this earlier. And I guess what I'm trying to do is is chat to people like you and just add some value, try and help that guy, that bloke who's at home, whose partner has just been diagnosed, basically doesn't know what's going on is lost, um, you know, which I have definitely been, and I'm sure have, have you have been as well, and just try and help. So I guess, to start with, do you want to just tell us, the, the listeners, a little bit about your experience with the dreaded cancer? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was, I think, early spring 2020, when my wife, Karis, who you know, had a good diet, did, did a lot of running, etc. started to notice that her run times were, were slowing down. 
I'd noticed as well that she was falling asleep in the chair in the evening. She'd lost a bit of weight, but then, you know, we were eating healthily and she was exercising a lot. And she, she'd always been, been very, very healthy. So I wasn't concerned in, in the slightest, to be honest. And the fact that we were both tired at that time was pretty much down to being in lockdown with two kids and trying to, to work full time. So we just attributed it to that. However, being quite uh, diligent as she is, she made an appointment to go and see the doctor. She went to her GP and the GP looked at her and they noticed that her stomach was slightly swollen and she was mm. complaining that she was quite bloated. She used to eat quite a lot as well and her appetite had reduced slightly. So her belly button was sort of starting to poke out a little bit in the way that it had when she was pregnant. So the doctor felt that there may be some issue with gallstones. She was then referred to a hospital to have a scan to look at these gallstones. Now, the typical waiting list at that time, we were told, was, was months. However, the doctor felt that if we waited that long, the gallstones would have dispersed. And so she spoke to the registrar and managed to get carries in that week. And I remember it was a, it was a Friday. And she went down to the, the hospital and had this, this scan on her gallbladder, which then turned into a scan that extended further along her body for reasons that she didn't know at that time. And the next thing I know, by late afternoon, I'm on the phone to the registrar and he's telling me that they had, in their investigations, they had seen masses in her upper colon, on her liver and on her lungs and that they suspected that it could be serious. I have a neighbour who is a, a GP and I spoke to him and I said, this sounds like bowel cancer. He said, I'd be amazed if it isn't. So from we went from gallstones to metastatic bowel cancer in half an hour there. Oh, mate. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was shattering. You know, I can, I can remember it now, reliving it. I can, yeah. I can feel it. But the whole the experience there, whether or not I, I was wrong to jump to that conclusion around metastatic cancer because it was too soon. It hadn't been diagnosed. However, there was very little else that it could have been. And I'd, I jumped to that conclusion. And unfortunately... I was right and over, well, not, not I was right, but you know, my, my doctor and the, my, my worst fears were, were realized. And then over the, the next three weeks to a month, there were further scans conducted. We were expecting to hear that it wouldn't have been operable because of the, the extent of the, of the masses, particularly on, on her liver. That was confirmed over the telephone, which was an extremely difficult situation oh to find gosh. ourselves in. We were sat on a on the bed upstairs waiting for the results of this scan and uh, a nurse called us up and the, the nurse was quite a, quite a junior nurse. You can tell she was very nervous, hadn't done that type of thing previously. And the reason they wanted to tell us so quickly was so that Caris could isolate so that they could get her down to start treatment as quickly as possible because of COVID. And so rather than being called into an office, et cetera, we were told over the telephone that the cancer was incurable and that the the way it was described to us was that the liver was palliative. Now, that was quite a, a confusing thing for me at that time because, and Caris as well, we'd always associated the word palliative with end of life, with, with terminal and with, with end of life. However, there are, there are certainly degrees of, of palliative care. And the way that I started to look at it was that any chronic illness, 
requires palliative care, whether it's it's cancer or diabetes or something like that. And so the way I, I framed that in my mind was that palliative just meant that it's not going away. However, there may be treatments that can maintain the situation as it is, prevent the cancer from yeah. spreading further. And so that's what we put all of our, our energies into. But that word palliative was a dirty word for us for a number of weeks until we sort of got our heads around what it what it meant. And I remember I was uh, talking to a counsellor, therapist at the time, and I remember him pointing me in the direction of a podcast that George Alagaya was on where he talked about his career, but he also talked about, and it was sort of just one of the points and definitely not the, 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 the main thing they were talking about, the fact that he had metastatic bowel cancer. And he'd just been to his daughter's wedding in America and Amazing. was still on the news and had managed to, to live, you know, he was living a good, a good quality of, uh, of life. And, and that helped us to put some of this into, into context. The, the other thing that helped us during that time was understanding that everybody's cancer is different. Every person is different. People respond to treatment in different ways. And we became very familiar with a lot of the, the forms of treatment and, uh, and how they work and so on over the, the next 12 months. But knowing that at the outset definitely was a source of optimism for us. What was your um, kind of perception of cancer prior to this? Had you had any experiences of it? Did you, you know, because for me personally, you know, when Deb got diagnosed, literally this was the first experience I'd ever had, had a, of it. It was just like like totally new a new world you know had you had any experience of it prior yeah uh, i had so in 2016 caris's father and my father both died of metastatic lung cancer within five right. weeks together so we first we experienced it with caris's father and then and then my father i think it was that way around it was right. uh, again it's a bit a bit blurry that uh, that time the they were both quite different cases my father, I don't know why, but I take some sort of dark humor out of all of this. He was ill for over a year and seriously ill. And Isn't by the you? time he went to the doctor, he could barely speak. He was whispering like this, could, could barely walk from the car to the, to the house, was in a lot of pain and so on. And so by that time, the, the cancer had spread to numerous places. But he'd never been to the doctor in his life, ever. So he had no doctor's notes, nothing. What, never? He was in... Ever, ever. Murphy. Yeah, well, exactly. He used to pull his own teeth out with pliers. But yeah. at all, at the, uh, he'd always said that he just wanted to drop dead and he didn't want to know anything about it. And so right. he walked into the doctor's surgery, was seeing the GP and dropped dead. And she worked on him for half an hour and brought him back to life. And if he wasn't there in a medical practice, there's no way he would have survived. And so that was a bit of a, a source of dark humour for us and right. for the rest of his, for the, the short space of life that he had left. But, so, yeah. you, so you had, you, yeah, it's dark. I mean, I, I, there's often, you know, it's the dark humour does come into play in all of this sometimes. You just sometimes, I, I don't know, just like, just cannot believe that the situation that we're in, you know, and how my thing is, I don't know if you, I, I'm, um, and if this is really bad and I need to stop doing this, I'm looking back constantly. So I'm constantly looking at messages and remembering how things were when they were normal and just like, and then I don't think that's very healthy at all. So like, that's the the first thing that like in terms of, and I guess there's no, 
there's no kind of blueprint or rule book for this, but I, you know, there's loads of things that I, you know, and I'm, I'm doing that perhaps aren't the, the healthiest, you know, is there, can you kind of relate to that? Yeah, of course, of course. And um, we've all, we've all done it and wishing for that time when you were, you were happy and you had, well, if you, if you could take yourself back to then, you would have had no cares in the world. However, at that time, you probably had loads of yeah. issues bothering you that all of a sudden pale into insignificance when something like your wife getting cancer happens. And the one thing I've taken, or well, not the one, one of the things I've taken from all of this is that a lot of that stuff was just totally insignificant. And I would, I would hope that I would never let those insignificant things affect my mood or my, my overall quality of life in future. And the, the other thing that I... I've taken from this. One of the other things is that Caris and I had a lot in common, a hell of a lot in common. And it took her going through all of this and how it ended for, for me to actually realize everything or to re-realize everything that we had in common. Because over the years, I think we'd focused a little bit on what our differences were. Like she was really hectic and she had loads of clutter everywhere and stuff. And um I, it's, I wouldn't call it a regret, but I'd call it a lesson that I would focus definitely on all of those things that we had in common as opposed to those very few little issues that we didn't have in common that used, and we used to drive each other mad. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. So I guess what I want to chat about now is so, like, you know, there's various degrees of like severity with cancer and, and I guess it goes right back to the kind of diagnosis, doesn't it, really? And if anyone's listening to this whose partner's have essentially recently been diagnosed like what what kind of advice would you give you know someone listening now who's going through it and the partner's just been diagnosed what what sort of practical advice would you would you give that person so first thing i would say is don't look at the internet i agree with that i agree i did that once and i didn't do it again well, if you want to know what you'll find on the internet, it's that your partner's going to die because that is what, that's what you'll find if you Google, well, if you Google metastatic cancer, the situation that, that we were in, and that isn't always the case, but you tend to find those stories because of the, the way that search engines work and, uh, and so on. We were talking about this earlier. There are, we know far more famous people whose partners have died rather than those who have survived cancer. Exactly. If you, and if you research it online, you know, of people who, it's always the ones that where the outcome wasn't great that you hear about, you know, but there's thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who've, you know, got through this. And, and I guess that's the other thing is that, you know, you can get through this. You know, it doesn't have to be the outcome, the worst outcome, you know. Exactly. And the way the treatments are moving, there are, there are new options every year. There was a new option during the, the time Caris was being treated, for example. And you know, in discussing these treatment options with others, we were told that there are others being developed all of the time. And yeah, if you want to just understand how prevalent cancer is, then you will if your, your, your partner ends up in that situation. Because I wasn't aware. I would have thought it was one in four people got cancer um, prior to Caris getting it. But then when I had to learn about all of this, I discovered that it was actually one in two people in their lifetime. And during the, the treatment sessions, when we were in that first lockdown, I would sit outside Belindra and wait for Caris. And uh, I had to stop doing it because I kept seeing people that I knew 
and it's it's a bit of an odd situation isn't it you know oh yeah what are you here for is it, have you got cancer or is it you know somebody close to you and a lot of people probably wouldn't even be comfortable talking about that i'm very open it wouldn't bother me but so in the end i just used to go and sit outside the supermarket in the in the car park and the, oh, and wait there and go back and, and get it so so i could avoid seeing people that i knew coming go in from the cancer treatment center yeah 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 so I guess, so you're saying that don't look at the internet. Are there any other kind of practical early, like some quick wins that you think? Because for me, I'm quite, you know, like exercise is really important to me. So I have to, I've mentioned this on episode one, I'm a bit like a dog. So if I exercise all the time, I tend to be okay. I'm quite productive, positive. I'm, you know, a bit of a force to be reckoned with without being, you know, I'm really on it. I'm all over my work. But then I, if I don't exercise, I can quite quickly get into bad habits, too many takeaways, you know what I mean? Negative. So I guess that's really worked for me is just like smashing the exercise. Are there any other kind of tips that you kind of implemented? Yeah, and anything that helps you with your mental health. So exercise is, is a big one. You know, I... At that time, I was already thinking about it, but I bought an exercise bike and I've got, you know, free weights and I used to do those every day. And when I was angry, the weights particularly came in, uh, came in handy. I couldn't find any way to put a punch bag, but I would have, uh, I would have yeah. loved to have had a punch bag during, uh, during that time and not being able to go to the gym. That was, that was really helpful. The, the other thing is that I, and I've been an advocate of talking therapy for, for quite a while because it, it helped me after my father died. Was I, I was seeing a counsellor. I, I would definitely do that, whether that's a... Um, I, I was seeing a, a, a generalist, I suppose, um, somebody who had been previously seeing, and you know, we, we sort of gelled, we had a, we had a good relationship, he's a, he's a good guy. But there are, there are other avenues available if you don't want to go down that route. We had a lot of support from St. David's, foundation so they're they're known mainly for their hospice which is uh, you know it was difficult sometimes to get the nurse through the door when Caris was here because she was you know she wasn't going to a hospice and uh, yeah. all of these things but it was there was a lot more than that they ha- offered support by a nurse who could answer our questions there's some psychotherapy available for the the person with cancer but also for the family and up until quite recently the kids have still been seeing the child's psychotherapist so she's been That's assessing good. them yeah, and so I, w- I would go. I would jump head first into all of that because it's not going to hurt. And uh, I think if you engage with it properly, then it it certainly helps and helped me very much. So I started. Well, I'd already been doing it, but you know, I I, I meditate, focus on mindfulness, the whole yeah. thing. I know it's a bit trendy at the moment, and you know, it's all everybody talks about mindfulness and paddleboarding and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm a bit cynical, but I think that mindfulness is definitely something that's helped me deal with a lot of these difficulties that I've had, particularly Caris's illness. Just to go back to the um, counsellor, there's different types of counsellors that you can kind of speak to. Who specifically did you, what was the kind of area of specialism? He's sort of a, well, I don't know really. I, I think he, he called himself a, a psychotherapist. So he's, he's more of a generalist. However, because cancer is so prevalent and common, that a lot of his patients had either been suffering with it or know people who are because he deals with you know, people's problems generally. And he, he knew a lot of, about cancer treatment from other patients being in Belinda and all, all these other things. So he was almost a specialist because he had so much experience in that, that area. Yeah. And what I would do with him 
is ask him all of those things that I was afraid to Google. And what does this mean? What does that mean? Give me an example of this. He was very cautious that he, I didn't just go to him for false hope and he wasn't offering encouragement in a way where it wasn't realistic. But he definitely helped with, with all of that. And uh, I don't think I would have got through that time as well as I did without that support. Because I, I guess, you know, if you think about it, like, logically, you're going through, like, something which is the most difficult thing. Probably your partner getting d- diagnosed with this kind of stuff is, like, for me personally, it's a low point, isn't it, you know? And there's two ways you can go, isn't there? You can you can let it sink you, which I reckon it probably does to a lot of people, you know, leading up to it. If you haven't got, you know, mental health is a, a problem and you haven't got the support network. So I, I guess anyone like who's listening to this, who feels, you know, not comfortable because I, I'm fine. I go and see a counselor every week. I'm quite open like you. I've got no problem with it. I'm like quite open about mental health and my mental health, how I have to keep on working on it, you know, but there's people out there, of course, who aren't, you know? So I guess what we're saying to these guys is look, man, you're going through a really difficult time if you haven't got that support network around you, there are people, you know, through the various cancer charities that you can chat to and just use it and talk, talk regularly to these people because it's going to help you, you know. If you, your partner has been diagnosed, it's a tough year ahead. <laughs> it's a really tough year ahead. And it's like a roller coaster, man, and you just have to keep the self-preservation society going and just keep... Deb always laughs at me that it's like, oh, it's Geraint self-preservation society, you know. But it's like, well, you know, you need me to be, you know, like I think we said earlier, 90% of the time I'm all right and then 10% of the time I'm not and then the 10% is not great. But, you know, if I can just try and keep that 90 that I'm unable to to keep going and keep being positive, then that's all good. But, yeah, so anyone listening, just please, please, please utilise, like, the support networks that are around you through the various charities and, you know, and private counsellors. And... Just going back to that, the understanding what's happening, understanding the terminology, being able to understand the severity of it or not, because it works both ways. You know, some things can appear like they're the end of the world when they're not, and other things you may not realize are actually more serious than than they are in, in all of this. And so having that, somebody to talk to about that, who knows what's going on, will help you to put some of this stuff into context as well as teach you those coping strategies and and so on. And one of the the coping strategies that I used throughout all of this and the the meditation help was just focusing on some days, it was the next half an hour, you know, but try to live in the the moment, live for for that day because who knows what's going to to happen down the line. I, I used to say to Karis and used to joke about it, you know, that I might be dead before you. And we, I, yeah. we always said that before she had cancer, I was always going to be the, the one who was going yeah. to go first because of uh, <laughs> the way I am. But, um, and, yeah. and yeah, we would still, you know, we would still joke about, about that. And who knows? And so just one day at a time or even less, I know it's a cliche and it's easier said than done, but if you can do it, you will get more out of, out of every day. And, you know, I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but before Karis died, two or three weeks before that, we were away in West Wales, and she said she had the best holiday she'd ever had. Yeah. You know, she was on the beach in a wetsuit, okay, you know, she was on 
on a crutch because she had a broken pelvis because of the, the cancer and so on. But yeah, she, she had a fantastic holiday about three weeks before before she yeah, died. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mem- I remember seeing that on, on social media, actually. And it looked like... Didn't you go to... Was it... Wait, wait. Slangranog. Oh, wow. Amazing. The beach there is pretty good, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's lovely. And we we were staying right on the, right next to the beach. So, you know, she could walk out and uh, and sit on the beach and so on. And yeah, that, you know, the, the fact that she did enjoy that time with us and that we were all there as a family, something that gave me comfort and sort of helped me get through the, the funeral and uh, and all of that stuff immediately after she died. Yeah, um, but she couldn't have. She couldn't have enjoyed that. She couldn't have, and she couldn't have pretended if she wasn't just taking each day as it comes, and thinking, "Well, you know, I've got options. There's treatment. I'm going to keep going here. I'm going to stick at it. Who knows what's around the around the corner?" Yeah. And that optimism allowed her to just live for the for the day and make the most of whatever time she had left. Yeah, I mean, she was, I have to say, I met Karis once, actually. We were staying in, um, in Green Man, I think, was it? Um, yeah. I did, I, and I remember meeting her, and but she was actually in touch with me via, I don't know if you know this, but she was in touch with me via social media when Deb got diagnosed, and just so helpful, you know, that, like, she definitely was extremely helpful to us, and I really appreciated it, you know, so... Yeah, really, really kind. She had a lot of what we jokingly call cancer friends. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm on the on the phone to my cancer friends today, and she did quite a lot with various people and um, so on. And she wanted to raise awareness about it, and she wrote a blog in order to do so. But a big part of that was was cathartic for her as well. And yeah. because she was a, a positive person, you know, she was a, a goody two shoes, a do gooder. She wanted to yeah. um, help to, to feel that. And, and to feel that she was doing something positive, it sort of helped with her overall mindset to be positive about it. You know, if she couldn't, she couldn't work and do the, do those those constructive things in a work environment. She was going to do them in the environment that she was in, which was one of serious treatment for uh, stage four bowel cancer. Yeah, and I guess it probably was her being able to control her narrative a bit. You know, so. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Control the narrative, be positive. And that really did come across, you know. So I guess, yeah, so there's like a bit of a theme here, isn't there, really, with what we're saying to the people who might be listening, is that, like, mindset and positivity. So I, I listen to a lot of people online, like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like a business dude, runs a big agency, really inspirational. and And it's that kind of, like, positivity that really, I really kind of, I, I absolutely love and, I, and I'm trying to kind of implement, not saying that I can all the time, you know, with what we're kind of going through at the moment. Yeah, so in, and, it, and it's obvious, yeah. isn't it? it? It is really obvious. And I am sort of cautious about sort of just stating the obvious and using platitudes and so on. But that is what helped. And if it doesn't help to start with, you know, work at it and keep going and keep talking to, to various people because you, there are there is help out there yeah exactly so did you because i can see you're you're a fisherman aren't you you're a very keen kind of fisherman yeah so so i guess that like the very nature of that must have been quite helpful did you use that to help chill you out a bit yeah sometimes sometimes however um fishing is very contemplative and sometimes it wasn't the right thing for me. So, you know, I can remember after we came back from the holiday in San Granog that we just mentioned, 
that I went fishing and it involved a, a two mile walk from the car park to where I was fishing. And on the way back, we were going to the hospital the next day. And I pretty deep down, I pretty much knew what was going to be said there yeah. and that it wasn't going to be good. And I left a little bit early because those thoughts were swirling around in my, in my head. And, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that I, I cried all the way from the, the lake, all the way back to the, all the way back to the car. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really tough. And so it, it, it depends. And that, I'm not saying that that crime was a bad thing because you've got to, you've got to get that stuff out. You know, it's just how it is. And so if I was talking to my therapist, he probably would have said, yeah, it was good for you to have done that. However, sometimes I like to keep myself busy and around people so that I didn't get to that place. Yeah. Are you quite aware that of other people? And I'm certainly like aware that oh, no one wants to talk about this. <laughs> you know, my friends who are just living their normal lives and, you know, you tend to bottle things up, don't you, because of that? Well, so, some do and some don't. So I, again, I've, I've been lucky with the people around me. So one of my neighbours who's been great in all of this is um, a recently retired GP. So he was really good. And every now and again, you know, he'd call me, call me over and we'd sit in his garden because of COVID restrictions and so on. And we'd have a, have a good chat about everything. I had a number of other really good friends. How, however, there are some people who are just absolutely useless. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's quite funny, isn't it? <laughs> it's hilarious, yeah. You know, they're, they're like, oh, I don't know what to say. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever, you know, just don't, don't say anything then, you know, just, just be yourself and just, just don't be awkward about it but I've, I've had some people who in just saying things for the sake of it have said some things that I'm thinking oh you've got your foot in your mouth here I remember one really good friend and you know she's been fantastic actually but I remember her saying yeah it's funny how you've ended up here you know it was like before this happened it was like you've won the lottery and now look at this and I'm thinking <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for cheering me out. yeah oh no yeah <laughs> yeah cool so so I guess Hopefully this is like being useful for like, you know, people listening at home with kind of various degrees of, you know, it's, it's like we said, it's different for everyone. And I guess, would there be something that you would, like if you could go back and I, and I know, you know, thinking like this isn't like probably, but in terms of like helpful for others, if you could go back and chat to yourself when, you know, she first got diagnosed, what would you kind of say? The things that we've touched on already, and I, I was told this relatively early on, but I didn't quite believe some of it as well. And I felt like everybody was trying to not, not trick me, but try to try and give me false hope and that sort of thing. So I was very suspicious about what people said. But the one thing that I would, I think definitely held true throughout was that everybody's cancer is different. Everybody is different. People respond differently to treatment options. And so just bear in mind that in most cases, particularly after diagnosis, there will be there will be options, and that everybody is different, and you just have to take it one step at a time. And that this is part of the the other part of the advice which we've already discussed. It is literally taking one day at a time, enjoying that time with each other, with your family. I took a lot of comfort out of cooking, eating meals, probably put about a stone on during yeah. Karis's treatment period, you know, lots of like three course meals and just going, going for walks if we could, even things like watching TV, MasterChef and things like that, you know, we, we had habits of, of watching those things together, but really appreciating 
the simple things with each other. And funnily enough, I'm, I'm really struggling to watch this latest series of uh, of MasterChef without without Karis and finding it uh, finding it hard work. Yeah, I bet. I don't watch the Ricky Gervais thing. Gosh, I can't. Watch I've watched it. it. I've watched. You it. haven't, have you? Oh, Lee, yeah. come on. <laughs> I know. I know. How did you do that? <laughs> Well, what the one night it ended up with uh, an empty bottle of whiskey on his side. I bet it did, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is. He does touch on something though with that, doesn't he? He's a genius. That first series is is fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. You know, it's been really nice to see you, obviously, and I haven't seen you in. And I, obviously, I wish I was meeting you in less, you know, in different circumstances. And but it is what it is, isn't it? At the end of the day, and I guess you know just recording this podcast has been helpful for me with what we're going to. And you have like, you know, both of you been particularly helpful to us. So keep, keep going, keep, keep doing it and keep looking, you know, you're, you're quite remarkable, man. Your positivity is awesome. And hopefully we're going to help some people now with this podcast. And, you know, anyone who's just been diagnosed or is going through what we've been through, we can provide that little bit of help. So that was my conversation with Lee. And yeah, I mean, that conversation was just unbelievable, really. I mean, I considered myself to be a relatively positive person, but, you know, Lee is something else. And, you know, the way he's kind of dealt with what's happened to him and it's it's just admirable and it's inspirational. And, you know, the advice that he gave there, practical advice, you know, this is like gold dust really to anyone who's going through it. And, you know, he's actually separately been incredibly helpful to me. And, and yeah, it's just really great to see that he's doing so well. Well, you know, and he's as well as he can be. And he's, he's cracking on with things. He's being positive. He's looking after his kids. And he's just doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. So well done, Lee. And I will be definitely coming to meet you very, very soon. So, yeah, I hope you found some solace in that. And, you know, like I said, I definitely found it really helpful. So if you're also experiencing or a loved one, someone you know, your partner has been diagnosed with cancer, then, you know, just there is help out there and you need to utilise all of the resource, the counselling services and look after yourself, self-preservation, because you need to be on tip-top form. And if you're not, you're no good to anyone. So my name's Geraint John. This is my Wife's Got Cancer podcast. I wish I was making this podcast, but hopefully it helps.